Lord, we owe you so much. We owe you, Lord, so much more than we could ever give. And so, Lord, as we stand in your sanctuary today singing these songs to you, we give you what we can, and that is our heart, our life, our all. Thank you, O oh God, for all of the battles and the trials of life that we have faced. We are victorious because of Jesus alone. We can stand here today and say, my future home is heaven, and I have eternal life. And we can only say that because of Christ alone. We can stand here today and say, I am forgiven of all my sin. God has made me new. I am a new creation, created in Christ. The Lord has created me for good works to glorify His name. I have a brand new life, and I only have it because of Christ alone. And Lord, the healing that we need in life, the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace we all need, and even in the personal matters that we bring to you today in your sanctuary, our needs that we bring into this place, you meet them through Christ alone. Thank you, God, for all that you've done. Thank you, Lord. And today we pray that as we hear your word today, as we consider the gospel of Matthew today, we want to see Christ and Christ alone and who we are in him. So bless us, O oh God, by your Holy Spirit today. Open our spiritual ears that we may hear your voice. And I pray, Lord, that every heart here is opened and is like a soft, fertile soil ready to receive what you have for us today. Change us today in the name of Jesus. And we all pray these things in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen, amen. God bless you, and you may be seated. Just as a reminder, today is also Communion Sunday. So if you walked in today and you didn't receive one of these small packets of the, the juice and the cracker, uh, then maybe sometime during the sermon or uh, maybe later on as we move into the communion service, just signal down Brother Hendrick or somebody in the back, and I'm sure they'll make sure that you receive one of these little packets. All right, well, praise God. It's good to see everybody here today in the house of God. And today we're, of course, going back into the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, but we're now moving beyond the Beatitudes that we spent several weeks in. And we're going to move on today to chapter 5, verse 13. So if you'll find in your Bibles, I'm sure this is easy for you to find by now, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And today I'll be reading from verse 13 to 16. And again, what we're reading today is all in light of what Jesus taught us about the Beatitudes, about the things he taught us about growing in a relationship with Christ as we desire him, as we desire to be like him, as we allow his life to grow in us. Here's what we come to now today. Verse 13, let's stand together. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. 
A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. You may be seated. Those are very famous words that Jesus spoke. You could go on Google today, and I'm sure there's a lot of artwork and poetry written about these two statements. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. I'm often asked, especially by young people, I'm often asked, is it okay of, instead of me telling my friends and my schoolmates, instead of telling them about Jesus, telling them the gospel, how they need to be saved, can I instead just live the Christian life, just live my life for Jesus, and that will be enough to teach them to come to Christ and be saved? It's a very good question. Many of us have asked that. We've asked that sometimes because maybe we're afraid to talk about Jesus. Maybe we're afraid of losing friends or being called weird or odd. And so the question is, can we just not say anything about the gospel, don't talk about the Bible, but just live your life for Christ and that will be enough to teach people how to be saved? Well, in my answer to that great question, I just simply say it takes both. It takes us proclaiming the gospel of Christ, but you can be sure it also takes living living for the glory of God. Jesus commands us to proclaim the gospel. The Bible says that faith enters into a person's life by hearing the word of God. And so, yes, we must speak. But when you speak, you must be certain that the way you live your life matches what you are saying. Because if it doesn't, they will call you a hypocrite. And why would I want to be somebody like you? You say all the right things, yet if you don't live what you speak, then what's the purpose in it? So yes, both are important. And I can tell you that people in the world today, and they would say to you, instead of just telling me what you believe, why don't you show me what you believe? Show it to me. You say Jesus can change and transform my life? Show me what it looks like. And so today, we are going beyond just telling people about Jesus. We are to live for Jesus before all people. And in doing so, we must impact all people. We must be an influence upon people's lives. A good impact a good influence, and the, Lord's, the Lord wants us to be an impact. Whether it's in your school, your family, out in the streets, wherever you go, impacting the world to draw them to God. And that's what today's sermon is all about, impact. I love how Jesus begins, it's, it's almost, it's just amazing. He says, listen, he says to those who have come to him poor in spirit, for those who have mourned over their sin, 
For those who have come to the Lord and have become meek in His presence, the Beatitudes. For those who come to Christ to be saved, He now says to you, listen, you are the salt of the earth. And He says, you are the light of the world. For all of you today who trust in Jesus, you have a relationship with Him. He says right now as a matter of fact in this present day, you are the salt and you are the light. We're going to talk about today how to be salt and how to be light. But this isn't something that we necessarily say, okay, I've become a Christian, now how do I become salt? No, Jesus says if you are a Christian, truly, then you are already salt and light. Just in the way when he taught the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are. You are blessed if you are poor in spirit. You are blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's not in the future only, it's for today. And he also says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right now, we have so many wonderful for, uh, promises of God that belong to us now. And we are who he says we are. Salt and light. And so after Jesus teaches the Beatitudes, he now gives us Two pictures to illustrate how we as Christians impact the world. As, uh, as we've talked about before, being a Christian isn't just a private matter, not just a personal thing that you hold within your own heart. Jesus wants you to go and impact other people's lives. How? Be salt and be light. Amen. So we're going to look at these two pictures today of the Christian who impacts the world. And the first picture we're going to look at is that wonderful phrase that Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Look at that again in verse 13. There it is, you are the salt of the earth. So first of all, what is salt? And what does it do? What's its purpose? Well, first of all, salt is quite a miracle. It's a miraculous compound. We're talking about real salt that you probably all have in your kitchen at home. Real salt. It's a miracle. It's a compound of two elements, sodium chloride. And you all know what salt is. You probably put it on your food, maybe even daily. There is salt in the food that you eat. Do you know that that miracle compound, if you were to separate those two elements, these two elements on their own are deadly and poisonous. If you were to ingest a certain amount of sodium, pure sodium, it would explode in your stomach. Not good. If you were to ingest or even handle chloride, it would burn through your body until you die. These two elements on their own are deadly poison. But a miracle takes place when they come together as one compound. They become salt, which is good. In fact, Jesus says that in the gospel, salt is good. And I would certainly testify of that as well. It reminds me of the miracle that's happened in all of us. Because before we knew Jesus, we were just a mess 
of explosive sin that was going to destroy our lives one day. We were evil, wicked rebels of God. God, on the other hand, is perfect and holy, and He says, I am an all-consuming fire. And if a sinner were to walk in the presence of God, you would burn up in His holiness. But hasn't a miracle taken place for all of us who trust in God? Our sinful, destructive nature has been united with the Holy Spirit of God. And in that, He has transformed us into a brand new creation. And we have become the children of God. We are this picture of salt. Salt, what does it do? Well, for one thing, it adds flavor, doesn't it? Just the the other week, I made some steaks for my father-in-law and mother-in-law. And they bought real good quality steak. And I put it on a pan and I fried them up and things like that. And I gave it to them and they thought it was very delicious. And I agreed, it was. But it wasn't because of me. The credit didn't go to me. It's because I took some salt and I sprinkled it over the meat as I cooked it. And that salt has a way of just enhancing the flavors that come out of meat or whatever you place that salt upon. You know what I'm talking about? When I first moved here to Indonesia, for the very first time, I don't know why, the very first time I saw my wife and my mother-in-law put salt on fruit. I had never seen that before. And when I saw that, I thought, wow, that is quite odd. What kind of a person puts salt on fruit? Why would you do that? It doesn't seem to work together. Well, you know, just last week I read a scientific article that said, if you want the fruit to taste better than it already does, just add a little pinch of salt. Because even though you might eat fruit that is very ripe, so juicy and sweet, if you add salt, it enhances the flavor even more. And if you eat fruit that it's bitter, add a little salt and the salt takes away the bitterness of the fruit. That is miraculous. My wife is not odd after all. Amen. And so we are to be salt, flavorful. And salt also stops the process of decay. Did you know that? Did you know before electricity and refrigeration, what did people do with meat and other perishable items? They couldn't eat it all in one day. They had to save it for a week or more at a time. What did they do so that their meat wouldn't spoil? They covered it in salt. And if decay begins, adding salt will stop the decaying process. It'll resist the bacteria and the growth of the bacteria in the meat or in the food. So today, think of these two things about salt. At least two things. It is flavorful and it stops the process of decay. It stops corruption. Think of that for a moment. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. The earth. You'll notice he says, you're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And I think he did that on purpose. He didn't say you're the salt of the world. You're the light of the earth. He purposely said it in this way. You are the salt of the earth. That word earth in the Greek is gi. And it means the land of the earth. 
It's not talking about the oceans and the rivers, just the land. And more specifically, the land where people dwell. So this word, gi, is often used to describe nations, tribes, cities, communities. It's where people live and dwell. It's your neighborhood. It's your community. It's your workplace. It's your school. Wherever people are, you are the salt. And so what does that mean spiritually for us? What are we to be doing? Well, we're supposed to be adding flavor. Flavor to people's lives. How? We are to show them the goodness of God in us. We are to show them how beautiful and wonderful he is and all that he's done for us. You know, the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Loving people. Showing them what joy is all about. Showing what peace and patience is all about. Goodness and kindness, faithfulness and gentleness, self-control. These are things that we are to display in our life. And we are to bring flavor. And I believe the more we interact with people of the earth and we're glorifying God, we're living for his glory, we're living the Beatitudes, I believe they're going to see something about us that they desire. Do you know if you eat salt, it has a natural way of causing you to be thirsty. Could it be that if we're living for the Lord, living a good testimony before him, could it be that our salt causes people to thirst for Christ? Adding flavor. And we are to preserve, resist corruption, resist decay. We are to be an influence to the people around us. And I think the more we influence people in our Christian life, our influence or our impact will begin to change the behavior of people around us. My father for many years as a pastor also worked at a car dealership. He had many men that worked for him and with him. And every Saturday I would go see my dad there at the car dealership. It was a Ford dealership at the time. And all the men that were there, anytime I walked through the side door to get into the building where only the workers' kids could go, you would walk right into this plume of smoke because every one of them smoked during their break time hour or their their lunchtime break time. And when you go in there, you hear nothing but filthy language, bad words, filthy subject matter. And then there's my dad in the middle of all of that. And sometimes they would say, Pastor Flanagan, we don't think you belong here. This is so different than what you are probably hoping for. But you know what my dad knew? My dad knew he was salt in the midst of those men. And I think there were many men who learned to trust in my father. There are many men who perhaps changed their habits, maybe watched their language in the presence of my father, maybe chose not to smoke if my father was there. There was just something about my dad that they knew inside of themselves something needs to change about our attitude and the way that we behave. Do you know there was a a study done by a sociologist? His name was Robert Woodbury. He wanted to study the impact missionaries have on cultures. When a missionary goes into another nation, community, culture, do they really impact the people in a positive way? Or 
Are they just trying to get people to act the way the missionary thinks they should act? Are they, are they sort of barging in on another person's culture and saying, you're doing it all wrong, you need to be more like this? What actually happens to a community when a long-term missionary goes, preaches the gospel, lives among the people, builds a church, and begins to interact with the community? Professor Woodbury traveled to parts of Europe, South America, Africa, and Asia. And he found a few startling similarities among all the communities before the missionary entered in and after the missionary was there. According to his study, he found that in these communities where missionaries went, these communities became more economically developed, they had a better state of overall physical health, there was a lower infant mortality rate, lower corruption, greater literacy, higher education attainment, especially among women, and more people were joining the workforce than before. Now we know the gospel is not believe in Jesus and you'll get a job, or believe in Jesus and you won't get sick or anything like that. No, the gospel is Jesus saves sinners. But it just so happens that as people's lives are transformed by the gospel and they see salt among them with the missionaries and the other ministers of Christ, things begin to change. Flavor is added, corruption is resisted, and societies are lifted up. That is one of the conclusions of being salt among other people. Have you ever asked yourself, why am I here? And I don't mean just why am I here alive on the earth, but why am I in Indonesia? Why do I live in Samarang? Why did God send me to the job that I currently have? And when you begin to ask these questions, you might be tempted to begin being angry about being in Indonesia or in this city, in this community, at your job, at your school. And you might begin to complain because these people, they are they're sinners, they don't do anything right, and I just don't belong here. I need to be with other Christians. If you've ever asked yourself, why am I here? Why am I in this city? Why do I live where I live? Do you think perhaps Jesus wants you to be salt? Do you think perhaps Jesus puts you where you are, surrounded by people that are nothing like Christian living? Do you think perhaps he puts you there as sprinkling salt upon flavorless food? Do you think perhaps he has sprinkled you in a place that is filled with decay and you are there to live a life for Christ and end that decay process? Maybe, just maybe, you might say to yourself, well, what difference do I make? I'm just one person and when I think about it, I don't see myself really making a difference in the people's lives around me. Oh, but I guarantee you are. You may not see it or hear about it just yet, but I guarantee as salt, you are making a difference. And maybe one day you'll have to wait until you're in the presence of the Lord for him to show you exactly what difference you did make. But sometimes as we live 
as salt. We do what we do for the glory of the Lord. You may not always be admired by other Christians. You may not always be appreciated by sinners. In fact, you know, do you remember the man Enoch in the Bible? Enoch, way back in Genesis. He was the man that one day God just said, you know what, I'm going to take you to heaven now. And Enoch was gone. There in heaven. You know, the Bible says that Enoch, in the time that he lived, it seems as though the world began to really decay and corruption was beginning to set in. And so Enoch prophesied that one day God was going to judge the earth by flood. He also prophesied of another judgment to come when Jesus returns a second time. He prophesied of these things, but he had a testimony about him. This is what everyone knew about Enoch, that he walked with God. Regardless of anything he said, they just knew he walks with God. And he pleases God. He doesn't live his life to please man. He lives it to please his God. That was his testimony on earth. Now we don't read about other believers admiring him for that life. And you don't read about sinners appreciating his word and his prophecy. But according to the book of Hebrews, when God took Enoch, people were looking for him. They were looking for him and they couldn't find him. Why were they looking for him? Because they missed him. They then knew what difference he was actually making among them. And when he was no longer there, they missed him and wanted him back again. They looked for him and they couldn't find him, the Bible says. You know, in the same way, soon, maybe through rapture or through death, we are not going to be here any longer. And I believe that when that day happens, people will wish that you were here again. People that you never thought would feel that way, they'll wish you were still here because you truly do make an impact as a Christian. Jesus says, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Once the flavor is gone, how can there be flavor anymore in it? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. How can salt lose its flavor? Do you know something amazing about salt? If you just put salt in a jar and you just put it in the closet, do you know at what point it will lose its saltiness? It won't. It never does. Salt does not lose its saltiness or flavor. In its natural state, it'll never lose its flavor. But there is a way it does lose its saltiness. Do you know how? It's when you add other chemicals to it. They did it in Jesus' day, and they still do it today. If you add other chemicals to the salt, whether for flavor purposes or spices or for color, if you add other chemicals, it will cause the salt to lose its saltiness and it will lose its preservation effect on decaying matter. Wow. I think that says something to us as Christians, doesn't it? Do you remember in the Beatitudes? Poor in spirit. It means we come to God empty. 
We know we cannot save ourselves. We come to Christ and to Him alone. We don't trust in anything else. We don't say, Jesus, I come to you and I bring my money and my trophies and my good works and my gods and my religions. No, we come empty. If you do not come to Christ poor in spirit, how can anyone experience the salvation of the Lord? If you think you need to add something to your salvation, all you're doing is causing saltiness to flee away. You are ruining the effect of salt. Also in the Beatitudes, pure in heart, Jesus said. Pure in heart is someone who is devoted to Jesus alone. He is my desire. He's the one that I run to. He's the one that I trust in him. I trust in and no one else. My allegiance is to no other name but to Jesus. But if that begins to change and you begin to trust in other gods, idols, religions, people, whatever it is, you are adding to the salt and the salt will lose its flavor and you will destroy your testimony. You will ruin your witness before people. Let me try to explain this, and I hope I don't lose you in this. Do you know, we know that sinners tempt other sinners to sin. Sinners don't walk alone. They always walk in groups. If you're a sinner, you're surrounded by sinners. That's just the way it goes. But if a Christian causes people to sin, that is worse than a sinner causing people to sin. Do you get what I mean? Because if a Christian gives people a reason to sin, that Christian is dishonoring their Lord. And they are giving a reason for people to blaspheme God and to mock God, to laugh at the Christian and say, look God, I thought he was your child. I thought this was your daughter, but look at the evil in their life. I thought you were transforming God. And God says you give people a reason to blaspheme my name. If a Christian loses their flavor because their salvation is no longer pure, their trust is no longer in Jesus, and they begin to follow all different directions of life, you dishonor the Lord Jesus and you not only ruin your testimony, but you become harmful to people now. Harmful. I just met a family a few weeks ago who wanted counseling. I didn't know them at all. Husband and wife and two teenage kids, an older boy and a daughter. And I went to the house and was talking to them. And the first thing they let me know, I'm a Christian. And then the wife said, yes, and I'm a Christian. And then the more I talked to them, I thought to myself, do you even know what a Christian is? And so I asked them, if you're a Christian, tell me, what it is, what do you believe? As a Christian, what does that mean to you? Oh, I'm strong. It means I'm powerful. It means that if I put my mind to anything I want to do, I can do it. I said, being a Christian means you believe in Jesus Christ who died for your sins. Being a Christian means you realize you're a sinner and you need to be saved by Christ and now you follow Jesus alone. Oh, yeah, 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 that too. No, no, no. Doesn't work like that. And so after I'm talking to them about these things, I said, can I meet your children? 
And so they went away and sent their children out. And I said to their kids, I said, listen, you don't know me. And this may be the only time you ever meet me. I don't know. But I just want you to know, both of your parents just told me they're a Christian. And then the boy interrupted me and he said, but they're not really Christians, right? And as I began to talk to these two kids, the boy is completely confused about Jesus. And the girl, she so showed absolute hatred toward Christianity, hatred toward the church, hatred toward the gospel. And I thought to myself, as salt in this earth, parents, if you're going to be impacting anybody's lives, it better start with your children. Here are two parents that claim one thing, but live a completely different way. And they have become harmful to their own children. They don't even know what it means to be saved. They don't even know what God's love truly is. They don't even know their need to be forgiven of sin. Why? Because their parents have no flavor as salt. I say, let salt just be salt. Don't add anything to it. Don't think you need to add or take away. Let salt be salt, and it will do what it does. Amen? I have this belief. I really have this belief that a true born-again believer, they are salt. And I'm not talking about, okay, I became a Christian, now I can just sit back and let people look at me and live life in a lazy manner, do whatever I want, and somehow I'll still be salt. No, that's not what I'm talking about. A true born-again believer. Somebody whose life is devoted to Jesus Christ. Who walks humbly before the King of Kings. Someone who walks in obedience to the Spirit's leading in your life. That person is salt. And when people meet you and they experience the flavor of salt, then they will know what the psalmist said in the Bible. They will taste and see that the Lord is good. Are you or are you not the salt of the earth? And the second one, he then says, you are. You hear that? You are the light of the world. Now what is light? Well, we're experiencing it right now. Light reveals what was previously unknown. Light reveals what's in the dark. Walk around in the house in the middle of the night when the power goes out. You'll have a tough time, especially if you have kids. And those kids have toys. And those toys are laying all over the floor. Chances are you're going to kick something that you don't see. You're going to run into something that you didn't know it was there. But as soon as power comes back, you just flip on the light switches. And everything that was previously unknown is out in the open and there's no hiding. That's light. Light was the very first thing God created in the book of Genesis. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Where there is light, there is no darkness. And light reveals what was in the darkness. It reveals. Spiritually speaking, 
The Gospel of John says that when Jesus came into the world, he was the light. Why? Because he revealed the truth to mankind. And what was the truth? He spoke of the truth of his Father, of his love, and he spoke of the truth that we are sinners and we must be born again. We must be saved. He came as the light to reveal the truth to us. And he says, you are the light of the world. World. In the Greek, it's that word cosmos. You've probably seen that before. Cosmos talks about the entire created universe. From one galaxy to the furthest galaxy. From one star to the other. It is the entire created universe. And so what does it mean that we are the light of the world? We reveal the truth. Now why of the world? Well, I, I believe that Jesus purposely says world. Because if there's one thing the world, people that is, need to know. Is that there is a creator. There is a God. He created the world. Because today, look all around you. And according to Romans chapter 1 and in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says that in the last days, people will deny that there is a God. They'll say the most foolish things like, the world was created when nothing exploded and became everything that there is. The Bible says that they are willingly ignorant that there is a creator. I heard a preacher say, willingly ignorant literally means dumb on purpose. People are dumb on purpose when they say things like that. But the Bible says in the last days, people will deny that there's a God. They will deny that God created the world. They will deny that he judged the world in the past by flooding the earth in Noah's day. And they will deny that there's a judgment coming in the future. This is what they will deny. So Jesus saying that we are the light of the world, I believe he wants us to reveal to all men there is a God. And he is the creator of heaven and earth. He loves us. He gave his son to die for us. And yes, there was a judgment in the past. And there's a judgment coming. And we must be ready to face that judgment. Light expels darkness. Not only in the physical ways by turning on a light switch, but in the spiritual, light repels, expels darkness. And so, just as the Lord sprinkles salt on decaying communities, I believe he also wants to build his church in the midst of darkness. Sometimes we look around the world and we see communities that are so evilly minded, so wicked in their ways. Haters of God, haters of Christians, of course, and they live in such wicked ways. And the church says, stay away from those places. But what do you think Jesus says? Jesus says, no, that's the exact place where I want to sprinkle my people. That's the exact place, the place of decay and wickedness and rebellion and darkness, that's where I want my church to be built so that they may shine the light of truth 
to all mankind. How are we to be the light of the world? Well, do you remember someone who actually said, I am the light of the world? Do you know somebody who said that? Jesus said that. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And now he says, you are the light of the world. To me, that means we are becoming like Christ in this world. We are united with him. And as he came to reveal the Father to us, so now we go throughout the whole earth to reveal the truth of Christ to all mankind. The Bible says that we are now ambassadors of Christ. And just as he came to reveal like light, we now are the light of the world, revealing the truth. The more we're like Christ, the more we are light to the darkness. Jesus says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. I believe, church, we are that city on a hill. Each and every one of us, like torches of blazing holy fire, revealing the truth of God. Collectively, we are like a city on a hill. And you can't hide it. You can't help but shine the glory of God. The church is the light of Christ to the outside world. But we are also a lamp within the home. In our own private homes, we are to be a lamp, a light to our family and to our closest friends. Are you here today and you have an unbelieving spouse? Do you have unbelieving children, unbelieving parents? Then no wonder why Jesus has sprinkled you in such a place. No wonder why he's using you in some of the darkest places of this community to shine his light. Out in the open or in the private home, we are to be light. Let me bring this to a closing. And so he says, let your light so shine. Just let it shine. Don't try to cover it up. Nobody does that. Let the light shine. It's more than talking about it. It's showing people what it means to know Christ. Just like salt, let light just be light. Let it be what it is and it will do what it does. Just let your light shine. Do you remember Lazarus? The man that was dead for four days and Jesus raised him from the dead? Do you know when the Bible gives us that story? There's that man dead for four days in the darkness of his tomb. And one day Jesus comes, God in the flesh, and he speaks out, Lazarus, come forth. And when they looked out of the darkness of that tomb, Lazarus came walking out, resurrected from the dead. Now can you imagine people going to Lazarus and they say, Lazarus, tell us, what's it like to be you? What's it like to be once dead in the darkness and now here you are alive? How did you do it? What did you do to become like this? What would Lazarus say to them? 
He would say, listen, I was a dead man in the darkness of my tomb. And what can a dead man do but be dead? I was a dead man. And all I know is that one day, piercing through the darkness of my tomb, I heard a voice. And the voice called my name. And I was alive. And this is the life that you now see. I didn't do this. This is what Jesus has done for me. And John says, who tells us the story, that everybody wanted to come just to see Lazarus, the resurrected man. And when they saw Lazarus, they believed in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? When they saw Lazarus, they believed in Jesus. Lazarus, who was there, he was shining the light of truth. And that truth said, God is here. God is here among us. And he raises the dead to life. And so here we are, the light of the world. You didn't do that to yourself. It's Jesus who has made you the light of the world. And you have come out of darkness. And you now proclaim to all people, God is here. God is alive. God raises the dead still. And he calls us out of darkness. And I pray that when they see you, they will believe in Jesus. Amen? And the last part of the verse says, Shine the light so that they may see the good works and they glorify your Father in heaven. You know, Jesus did this better than anybody else. So many times when it says that Jesus healed the multitudes of people, they didn't clap for Jesus. The Bible says they glorified God. Jesus knows what he's talking about. Do what you do to glorify God. And not just God, but your Father who's in heaven. Musicians, you can come. And as they do, let me just close by saying, in this verse right here, glorifying your Father in heaven, this is the first time now the first time that Jesus calls God Father. This is the very first time that Jesus refers to him as Father. And not just a Father, but your Father. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he will say this 16 more times. Your Father, or our Father. We are to let all people know. We are not just serving the creator of the universe. That's true. But to us, he's not only the creator, he is our father. And thus, if he is our father, that means we have an intimate, personal relationship with him. And there are so many people that need to meet our father. Amen? So as we impact people's lives as salt and light, we are drawing them to the heart of our Father. Amen? May it be so. May it be so. Amen. Be salt, be light, and let's draw people to God. Praise the Lord. At this time, we're going to observe communion, so if you want to prepare your small packets, I know it takes a little bit of time to open them, so go ahead and start doing that. And as you do, and as the musicians are ready to sing, let me just pray and 
transition our worship service now into the communion service. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, oh God, for what you've spoken to us today. I thank you, God, for the miracle that we have become born again. The miracle of being salt of the earth. The miracle of being light of the world. Lord, thank you for your promises. And thank you that they are ours to claim today. Thank you for your word, and I pray it will truly transform our hearts, our minds, and our attitudes. And now, God, as we look to communion today, as we enter into this service, we come with thanksgiving. And Lord, the first thing I want to say is forgive us. Forgive us because we don't have the language and the words to describe how thankful we are to know Jesus. God, you have united us with the life of Christ. And I pray, God, that today, right now, as we celebrate communion with our Lord, as we are united today with one another, remind us that we are united miraculously with the life of Christ. And I pray that as we know about that truth, that it will give us great comfort in life. That it will give us great encouragement. It will be a wonderful promise that we can hold on to even in the darkest trials of life. We are united with Christ. And I also pray that that truth will become so real. We will be so united with Christ that when people see us, they will see Christ. When people hear us speak to them, they will hear Christ. When our hand touches those who are in need, let them feel Christ touching them. Oh, thank you, God. Great Lamb of God who died for our sins, thank you that we have been united with you in death and in life. We owe all to you. And so as we sing and as we partake of the communion emblems, thank you. Forgive us of our sin. Unite us with Christ and unite us with our brothers and sisters of this body of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.